Okay, here. Here's a quick bring. Pick pick me up. I'm making soup. I got soup for lunch. Got up, put the soup in the soup thing. I actually got to check it in a second to make sure it, it's not simmering. I don't know what's going on with my burner. I have such a shitty electric stove. Oh yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to the ceramics the ceramics podcast. Today we're going to be coming to you with big recipes for soup. 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 Um, fa my family, like this was a staple in my family growing up. And the soup was, that you're about to make? Yeah, the soup that I made. It's just like, now it just has to simmer for a while, but. Oh, no way. Um, this will like tell you, I mean, you, but you, this is probably something that you would have had in your family too. I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a ripoff of an Olive Garden recipe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, what is it? It's called Zupa Toscana. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. It's some like fancy Midwest stuff right there for sure. So it's Tuscan soup. Uh-huh. Which the means soup it has of the soup of Tuscany. Okay, so that means it has sausage, uh, some tomato based and some beans. No, it's 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 sausage, potato, and chicken stock. Oh, okay. That's pretty okay. much it. Yeah. Um, I'm pumped. You I really to eat it. You threw me off with the Tuscan part, but you got me back with the potatoes. Yeah, soup is really, really good, but it's hard to find a good other than pho and ramen. It's hard to find good soup spots. I think. Oh yeah, there's no good soup spots like soups. Well, and there's there's a good there's a good a really good pho. I mean, there's a good ramen spot too, but there's a really good pho place by our work but it's a bit that's it's like a bigger like sometimes i just want to be able to like get a cup of soup and eat it on the go actually there is a really good soup spot by brooklyn clay and that what? it's called stocked and it's up on vanderbilt and oh. it's on the other side of the street and they have a a meat a polipatoni soup which is crazy delicious I have, you, have you been there recently i've been i went about it was like before shut before COVID, so yeah, that would make sense because they went out of business, <laughs> <laughs> which is a real bummer. Oh that my whole, god, this what a story! I like went through that whole thing, and you were like, "Oh Jesus!" Okay, here's so here's all. I, here's what here's what I got for the podcast today. I got um, another person wrote in with questions, and I okay. said we talked about an in intro, so I got two. Uh, two sets of questions that we can talk about. I got I got nothing to do today, but record the podcast, eat soup, go to the studio. Oh, sweet! It's um, like a dream day right there. That is kind of like the best day of day. That's the best day off. I have to work later, so I'm kind of like bummed. Why? Why do you keep taking so much? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Why do you hate yourself? I don't know. I don't know. But okay, here's what happened. I've been reading, I told you I've been reading The Porcelain Road and I've been reading it. Shit, I got the name of the book wrong. So okay. I told you Start I've been reading <laughs> Okay, I told you I've been reading The White Road by um Edmund DeWall. And yes. I've really been slogging through this book. It started off just like the hair with the amber eyes. It started off basically unbearable. But then like I was like a hundred pages of him saying so and so gave this yeah. thing to so and so. Yeah, exactly. 
and for the hair with the amber eyes, it sort of comes together later. But, you know, in the beginning of the white road, I was a little, um, I had some, you know, questions and some trepidations because he said something really weird about wanting to hang out with the women in the pottery studio. I don't really know. We'll get back to that another time. However, so I've been reading the book and then the book gets really good. If you love porcelain, you know, it's like an amazing crazy obsessive history of porcelain where Edmund DeWall like read every like 17th century letter from every monk writing from China to anywhere in Europe and he travels around basically like following the path of porcelain and the invention of porcelain so you know it's like a hit, it's like reading someone's college like doctoral thesis, but then he interjects some like personal narrative, which makes it, you know, he tries to bring it back into like sort of a memoir or, you know, like bring, make it an interesting realm. But the read itself is like, you know, it's taking me forever to read it because I only want to read a couple pages at a time. And I've never seen him speak. So I watched the lecture, the 92Y Edmund DeWall virtual clay lecture yesterday. And I have to tell you, he was really, really good. Really? I promise you, Gus, I wanted to hate him so much. I came in ready to just attack. I was like, fuck this guy. Fuck his, like, lofty bullshit. Fuck, you know, it was really, like, so inspiring. And just, like, a wonderful talk. And his ch he's just, like, a huge clay nerd and really charming. Like, he's okay. impossible it's on, it's online to, now, like, right? It's online. It's good, yeah, so 92 Wise Good think they said they're going to have it up for free. So you can just like, go click on the link. And then if we find the link, maybe we'll put it up somewhere. But Wait. I have to tell you, I'm actually disappointed. I'm disappointed that I liked it so much. I know. That's why I, I might, I don't know. Because I've, I've sort of like built my entire life around thinking that he was a jerk. It's just not, that's just not it, man. But you know what? In a weird way, I actually always kind of liked his work. Um, oh, that's so opposite. Because usually yeah. people like to really don't like his work. You know what and my, then they love his books. You know what my biggest issue with him was? is uh, I don't like when there's videos about people's studios and the studio's clean. I don't like that. Oh, yeah. he. Uh, his studio was too clean. I didn't believe that he made anything in there. Actually, that's really funny. You should talk about that. So there's a couple, I'm working on a couple like theories about like that kind of ceramics where I think like he's turning, and I'm actually wondering if this is like a bigger thing of like ceramics as religion. And so, you know, it's not so much that his studio is clean. It's that he's showing like a life as a like artist potter that sort of, um, and he uses word like, words like monastic. And, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that he's like Define that. Define that. What does monastic mean? I mean, like a monk-like existence. Okay. Um, yeah, he's sort of like, uh, like, like when he shows pictures of that, it's like the, that's part of his like, um, mystique of being an artist and i think he's yeah. really built this idea of himself as like you know a being you know like you know like a jesuit or something yeah not that i, I bet, know anything about jesuits but because i don't I bet somewhere in this studio he's got a sign that says 
cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but also like the, the sign should just go on and be like, but you as a maker, you are the God. Like, it's like so bananas, right? So it's kind of like a thing. I think I'm going to do some writing about it because I'm kind of like really interested in, you know, I've been really interested in like the maker as, you know, the only clay specifically because that's what I've been working on. But it's like clay is like the, one of the things that you can, like you can't control anything, but when you're in your studio alone making your work, like that's your realm. Like that's the only thing you really have control over. Like you don't know when you're going to die. You can't like control getting cancer. You have like, you're in the middle of a pandemic. You don't know what's happening with an election. Like all you really have is this really, this thing of being a creator. Yeah. That you also just have like a loose grasp on no matter how, or how good you are at it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's like, Um, like you're hanging on to like a greased pig, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Man. So that was the Edmund DeWall lecture. I highly That's recommend amazing. it. Just, and, uh, you know, also I'd love to hear what everyone thinks about it because I want to know if you want to hate him as much as I do. Yeah. Huh. What do you think about people with clean studios? <laughs> or people or people that share clean studios, like the, that's what they put out. I feel like they might pay someone to clean them. Yeah. I would. if I, If I could afford to have any help in my studio. Yeah. I would, all of it would go towards cleaning my studio and organizing my studio. I think that- It would be amazing. I think that like my studio is disgusting. Like it's just like, I sweep it and like one, like last year I mopped it. (laughs) I I had to have uh, people come by the studio like once this past week and once the week before for stuff. And I cleaned the studio the night before. And then like when I walked in with them, I had to go through and be like, I'm really sorry. It's like a real shithole in here. Uh, Just been really busy. And now I still had to say that after I cleaned it for a night. And like mine's not, I try and I keep the dust really low in my studio. Like I'll clean up any, and I, and I don't make that much since I'm not really working with clay very much in my space, but um, I'll clean dust. It's mostly just clutter. Like it's just, oh. it's just hundreds of Mako and Amico containers scattered across my studio. Yeah. You, ha- you don't have a lot of like, con- like storage for that. Like you, no. you don't have any closed storage for that stuff. Like no. if you want to have like a beautiful, clean, sleek space, you have to have closets with doors. Uh, so you don't see all the shit. If I could have an assistant for anything, it would be a mold maker. But the second thing would be someone to be like, you don't need to buy that. You're never going to use that. You're never going to use that glaze. You're never going to use that clay. Don't buy 04 clay because you're never going to use it. Do not buy whatever yeah. bullshit. I could use someone to be like, don't buy that belt sander. Just don't do it. <laughs> You're going to use it once this year, and then you may or may not ever need it again. But the one time that I used it, it was <laughs> fucking amazing. It was so good. But yeah, now it's just been kicked around in the back room. You know, 
A belt sander. I mean, that would be sweet to have, but then. I bought it. Yeah, see, like, now I can just come yeah. with yours. Fuck, but, no. Fuck you. I mean, I would love, like, a laser cutter. No, but no. I don't know. Yeah, but that. then you have to have a laser cutter, and then everyone's going to be like, hey, I'm working on this project. And then all of a sudden, you're coaching people how to, like, make a drawing. And... <laughs> That's true. I ever tell you the story about this guy, he didn't never did he had never done ceramics before and he called me. He messaged me a friend of a friend. He was recommended to me. Just had a couple questions about, you know, making stuff in clay. And so he was like, Well, you know, what do I do? How do I do it? And then, you know, I sort of like he was like, Okay, well I sort of like messaged him back and he was like, Well, can you come to, to my studio and like, you know, walk walk me through it? And I was like, Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I went to a studio and I helped him, you know, a couple hours. And then he emailed me. I just had some more questions, just a couple yeah. more questions. I don't even know this person. Just a couple. So I answered the questions. And then he he was like, can you, can you just come by one more time? And he was like, it wasn't like out of the way. He was near me. But yeah. it, was, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like a mile out of the way. It was like a half a mile out of the way. Yeah. But, so then I go over to see you again and then he's like, Oh, I finished the pieces. I want you to come see him. And I also have a gift for you. Uh, I have something for you. And I was like, Oh, cool. And he was like, I go over there and he gave me a zine. I thought you were going to say he gave you his reclaim. I mean, that yeah. actually would have been more valuable than a zine. So a I bit like you and I both, studied ceramics for a long time and like dedicated a lot of time to it but uh and so a lot of times part of me is like like this is knowledge that i spent a lot of money and a lot of time like a lot of time and some money figuring out and like i should like that's precious because like i worked so hard to to get it but uh then sometimes i'm also like okay like i want I want ceramics to like continue to blossom, especially like in the art world. So when it's people like painters that reach out or sculptors that are trying to work with clay, I try and be like really generous about it just because I like, I want people to keep working with it because it's had such an amazing like explosion in art over the last 10 years. But um, there, I often just get, I mean, you probably get it too, just get like recommended. It'll be like, like I'll just get an email or a message and it'll be like, so-and-so. It'll be like, you know, someone that I knew from New York ceramics world would be like, oh, I got your email from so-and-so who knows you from this place who said this. And then I got one that was like, someone wanted to know if they could hook up a kiln they were like, I can't get 220 in my apartment where I'm going to put this kiln. And I wrote out this crazy long explanation of this like dream that I have of running a barrel kiln off of a regular 110 wall outlet, but having each section of the kiln run to a separate outlet on its own breaker. So you would run it. Really, really brilliant. So you would run it. I mean, it'd be a huge pain in the ass, but if you can't hook up, if you can't hook up, like like in my apartment. You guys don't, this, like for those of you who are new to ceramics, this is like 
don't ever don't think this is a possibility because it's not but go but on. it could be but it could be but it could be if you and like the thing so so that was like i sent him i spent like an hour writing this email being like okay here's like and because i've like called so i have a friend that works for a kiln manufacturer and then our friend keith i like talked to at one point about it and i like like schemed you know, and i like have all this stuff because I kept thinking that I was going to maybe try and do something. Because I, in my studio, I have two separate. Um, I think they're 120 with 20 amp breakers on them. Just in my studio, so I was like, okay, so I could run. Uh, I could, I could essentially even just buy two test kilns, take the floor off of one, take the lid off the other, stack them, and fire them. Oh shit! And and fire them off their own, <laughs> them a couple, and so which I don't know so. This is like the plan. So I wrote in this giant email, like listed everything that I'd like, like the little bits that I've figured out that I think would work, you know, made sure to really carefully be like, I haven't tested this and I'm sure you're not supposed to do it. So just be careful. But, um, and then he responded and he was like, he was like, uh, like, like, thank you so much for the long response. I actually realized that um, like what I was trying to ask was it's 208 and I need it to be 240. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck. And it was just like, it was like somebody took all the, the wind out of my sail. <laughs> and then I just never responded because I had already dedicated more time than I wanted to to some, somebody who I didn't even know, who's like <laughs> a friend of an acquaintance. So stupid. And I gave away like the most brilliant idea I've ever had, oh, which somebody well, else's just, I mean, you just gave it away again. I know. To, like the, if somebody does it to the ten listeners, <laughs> our ten listeners are running out and buying two test kilns. Yeah. Okay. You buy two test kilns, or you buy. Yeah. I so. I don't want to get. I don't want to give away the real secrets here. I'll send okay. some pictures at some point. Actually, I won't because I'm never going to fucking do it. Because why would I do it? But <laughs> two test kilns, that's the real ticket. Okay. You can make tall bases. I mean, that would be sweet. One at a time. Yeah, why not? Yeah, like I got one. That'd be rad. Should we go into questions? Yeah, please. Okay. So, wait, really quick, Gus. He wanted in, he, he needed 240 and he has 208. Actually, no, it would have. it was the other way around. He bought... So he bought a kiln. Oh, that's never do that. Yeah. He, he just, he saw a kiln yeah. online. He bought it. Yeah. And then took it home and was like, this is three phase 208. How do I hook it up for uh, yeah, no. two, 240? And it was like, you, but you can't. Can, but you can run bisques in it, can't you? Just over and over bisques. Uh, um, well, so the, I think the, um It'll just I don't never get to temperature. Well, I'm not really sure exactly what would happen because you're I don't actually understand what three phase is versus what uh single phase is. And and I don't know the difference. I mean I get that you have I think you just have lower lower volts, lower amps in a three phase two oh eight kiln. So maybe it would work. I'm not really sure. I, I don't understand enough about electric. Like electricity is something that I really just don't understand. Right. Okay. I know someone um, that does. We'll have to circle back around to that. Okay. Okay. Questions. Um, 
Welcome to listener question. So we got a we got a question, um, a couple questions from India T, um, India Thompson on Instagram. Wait, India M Thompson on Instagram. And uh, this is this is a big one. Do you guys have any advice for someone who is graduating very soon with a ceramics degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. What I would do is contact your admissions officer or whomever and just add another major and just stay in school <laughs> as long as you possibly can. I thought you were going to see if, yeah. Is there any way you can switch your major <laughs> at this point? <laughs> um, someone, so uh, I went to the University of Montana and um, the head of the department is Julia Galloway. And she would really often talk about how um, people actually do really like to hire people with um, BFAs in art because they tend to be really good problem solvers. Um, Because if there's anything that you learn in art school, it really is like problem solving. And I feel like we've even joked about it on the podcast, but like, like the most, you know, it's like you'll be in school and your friends like, you know, doing whatever, making a project for their poli-sci class. And, and you're just like, how am I going to turn this straw into a dog sculpture? And like, <laughs> and it's like, you, you really develop weird problem solving. So I would say, uh, like, in a lot of ways, just be, be confident and or do your best to be confident and, and like know that something that you can do really well is, is figure out how to make weird stuff work. Um, which that's is, true. I mean, that's, that's, that's like what I- That's really yeah. valuable. Yeah. It's really valuable. Yeah, cause, yeah. Like I work so many, I mean, I went sort of, well, I, I worked at Target for a year. Um, but outside of that, I, I have just done like kind of construction fabrication work where it's been really valuable to have a background in art because you're just doing weird problem solving all the time. Um, uh, did I tell you about my studio assistant, Miley McNaughton? No, I know you, yeah. So I know she my, exists. Yeah, she's awesome. So how we met is she emailed me out of the blue and said that her teacher, um, from the University of Wilmington, she she told her teacher she was moving to New York City, and he was like, "Oh, you should write to Cami Comanco and, you know, just introduce yourself." She wrote to me out of the blue, and she said, "Hi, I'm moving to New York. My name is Miley. I work with Aaron Wilcox at the University of Wilmington, New, UNC Wilmington, or whatever. And I would just wanted to know if we could, if I could meet you, and we could just do an." informational interview just because I just, I'm just moving and I don't really know what to do or, and I don't know anybody, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like come, you know, come by my studio and we'll just, I'll just talk to you about like what you want to do with yourself since you're going to be in New York. And so she came by my studio and then it turned out like, I really just liked her. She was like super cool to talk to. Um, and then I was like, well, well, she was like, well, do you need an, do you need an intern? Like you don't have to pay me. And then I was like, well, yeah, of course I need that. Uh-huh. Um, 
but then it turns like I couldn't, I had to pay her, you know, like yeah. I paid her something. Yeah. I didn't, it's not like I have a ton of money, but I just like was like scrounging to pay her something. And then I gave her a pottery wheel. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, so she just like comes by and helps me do stuff, that's you know? Sweet. So yeah. that's like one way, like one way to like just pick your favorite people and be like, I just, do you have any, like, like people love to talk about their journey or they love to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, went, I mean, we, everyone we was you. podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like just remember everybody went through graduating and get, so you just have to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. One thing um, that was really helpful for me because I just, I didn't like, I really didn't know what to do after finishing college. And I, I was really nervous that I was gonna like um, end up back in my hometown working construction because it would have been really easy right. um, to do because my, my dad's a carpenter or was a carpenter. And so um, for me, it became really important to like find the next thing. So I started looking at residency programs and then also um, post-backs. Right. And then the nice thing about like the postback programs is they tend to be really cheap. So even um, like a, there are so many good residencies that sort of that are like attainable for um, somebody coming fresh out of school. Like uh, our friend Katie Coglin, she did the Red Lodge Clay Center right after undergrad. There's also I mean, I love like the Clay Studio in Missoula is really great. There's a lot of these like really, really great studios um, just kind of scattered around the country that are really worth looking at. And, you know, maybe start there too. If you, if you go on to um, Julia Galloway's The Ceramic Field Guide, oh, she hey. lists, yeah. That's a really great resource. Yeah, and she lists um, like residencies by state. So that could be a good way to go if you sort of, if you have an idea of where you want to live. Um, and you want to keep making stuff, I would look there. But um, yeah, I so I, I went and did a post back at Kansas State University because it was super cheap. It was like, it was like, I want to say it was like around like 1500 a semester or something. And I got full access to the studio and like had a small studio space and had unlimited firings and then the big thing for me was I still had a support system, which I was like, um, I just felt really unsure of stuff. And I, and I didn't like the idea of being just a resident somewhere. Like I felt like I still kind of needed professors to talk to. Um, and I did that and that was like a really helpful thing. And then I just worked at Target at night. That's awesome. Like, that's pretty rad. Yeah. I know also you're, I know like I've been following what's happening like at Kent State University, which is my alma mater. And I know that your friend went there as a postback, David, I think. Oh, yeah. And then he is now in graduate school there. I just know this from Instagram. I don't actually, I didn't actually talk yeah. to him. But what's happened, like what ha it feels like, you know, he now he's in the graduate program there, which, you know, he should write in and talk to us about it. Actually, both. Harris too can talk because like what's happening turns out is at that program it's like really fucking cool so you don't know what's going to happen like yeah yeah you just we don't also, know one thing just sort of rolls into the next thing right yeah 
Yeah, and I, I think, um, like it is, I know it can be really scary to like pick up and move um, when it's for a thing that like, you know, I don't know, isn't yeah. gonna be making money <laughs> and things like that. But um, I would look like at the time, um, uh, Dylan, Dylan Beck and Amy Santa Ferraro were at Kansas State University and I just like loved their work and thought like, okay, you know, these people make work that like, I want my work to fit in, in the same world that these people are making work in. And like, so I'm going to go try and spend some time there. And, um, I think if I was like looking at post-bac programs, well, I, I don't think this, I know that I would, I would look at the university of Arkansas. Like they have such a amazing thing going on there. I know you talk, you actually post more about, the University of Arkansas's program, then you post about the ceramics podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Which I have no affiliation with, but they just, um, I think it's- No, I saw you did an Instagram post about that. I was like, Jesus, Gus. Well, I don't know. I think it's, um, in some ways, like you you do get to see it happen. uh, Like we've seen other schools, like what was it? The University of Cincinnati. where snow you went mm-hmm. that um that did kind of like start up out of i mean they didn't start up out of nowhere but they like no like te- like the te- well the pro the the instructors come in the professors come in and they build their program and it's like yeah and so you just but there's so many different kinds of ceramics now that you you know yeah you can just like look for who you want to be with also one other amazing thing that's happening right now is because ceramics is so hot there's a like it just even if it's part-time job opportunities there's a like a lot of job opportunities for ceramicists it feels like yeah yeah like, especially not like, if, like full-time jobs but just to be a part of something yeah 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 if you're um i bet like every city has something like here in New York, we have NIFA, but I would, I would try and figure out if you have something like that, um, where you live, that's like an art jobs posting. Yeah. Um, cause so many people want to do it. Even, um, like one of the techs that we have at Brooklyn clay, she like bops around and just does like, like a day here. And then, you know, is like off doing other work for like two weeks and then she's back at the this other like just doing pickup work for artists and like helping them because a lot of people are getting into it and might not need help every day but they need somebody that knows like you know when you need to read kiln wash your shelves and like how to replace a thermocouple like really basic stuff i think okay here's maybe we did talk about this a long time ago but i don't know if it made the podcast I think the the number one, like the the thing that helped me the most about being in art school was just learning how to do a bunch of different things. So if you're still, um, if you still have time to like take more classes, like take a photography class and learn how to just like do some basic photo editing and learn how to light a piece and take an image of it because that will go a super long way yeah. for yourself. But also if you end up working as an artist assistant, and get in the wood shop and learn how to build a crate. Yeah, that's true. And also, I mean, if you learn mold making for ceramics, you can basically take those mold making skills and transfer them into metal, glass, wax, like everything. 
Like yeah. if you know how to make one plaster mold, you can make a plaster mold for basically any material and then you can work as an assistant for any artist. And also, by the way, about interns, it's totally illegal to have an unpaid intern. You have to pay them. Is that just a New York thing? I don't know. You should check in, check yeah. out your local, your local laws. But <laughs> Look at your local intern laws. Ah, okay. Yeah, Bill, um, okay, wait, okay. So yes. thanks for watching the question. That was great. Okay, wait, here we go, here we go. This is a bigger one, and we talked about it the last time that we recorded. Um, this is also from India. Uh, how do you guys go about pricing your work? Oh, man. <sighs> we go through, it's hell. It's a hellscape, India. So just like welcome to the Terror Dome. Um, Thunderdome. Thunderdome. <laughs> Well, I was just talking to Gus about this the other day on the street. We ran into each other and I was like, what had happened was I complained about this person, this artist's prices being so high because I really want to buy one of his pieces, but it's just out of my price range. And yeah. so I was like kind of bummed about it. But then I was pricing my own work and I realized my prices were just as expensive as his. So then I was like, well, I just lost a whole group of people that you know, like myself who can't afford that work. Like I price myself out of my own work. So Yeah, but that's like, but I think it gets tricky because like, I don't know. Because if you, if you price your work, like, and I'm not, I think we're, we're just kind of like glossing over that, uh, like Cami makes cups and things like that that are like more affordable. Yeah, totally. Um, like a like cup, $35 to $50. Yeah. And, but yeah, the second, like, I don't know. Because I, I have that problem too where, like, I have friends that are such good painters and, like, I want their paintings, but, like, I can't afford them. So my only, but they can't afford my work either. And, yeah. And, but I don't know. I mean, I think, like, the one, or, like, the lucky thing for us is that, you artists do trade stuff, which is really nice. I talk about trading stuff way more than I actually trade stuff. Yeah, I want um, But yeah. Okay, so I did a sale last last holiday. I did like a holiday sale. And there was one person that was selling their work for, you know, like one of my vases is like $125. But there was a person, a couple tables down that was selling their work for, I don't know, $10. And, um, and then other people in the sale who were like equal with that ceramicist, like, you know, equal, um, foot, like equal in their career, let's just say, or whatever. They were also trying, they were also selling their work for like more like 50, 60, 70, $80 and one person selling their work for $5 just to get rid of it just because yeah. they just wanted you. So people were furious about it because they, because her work was so low, they were un, it was undercutting, undervaluing everyone else's work. And it was the same, like pottery. Like, yeah. this, like they were the same, like, you know, they worked in the same studio. They were all the same. Do you, so, do you change your prices depending on where the so work that, is going? That's a great question. Um, I can't, you can't because yeah. Uh, 
once you like kind of set your prices, I mean, you could put your stuff on sale. So if you're selling a cup for $50, you sell one, and then you realize, well, you still have 40 left and you only sold one. So you know if you're gonna, if you lower the price to 20, then you're gonna sell them out. So you lower the price to 20, and then the one person comes back that bought the $50 cup and sees that you lowered the price to 20 is gonna be so pissed. Because now their, the work that they bought is, isn't, as valuable as they thought because the handmade is like so important to our culture um that you know it's like the prized it's like sort of the prized element one of the only things left is like craftsmanship and you know and the handmade object like one of the only things left that can be untouched by you know any kind of corporation or there's no there's no like oh they can get it man. i know but i'm saying they got yeah, it of course they got it i know but in the in the idea of get it, off your ivory tower <laughs> the idea of it is that anyway so you have to like find your price point and just don't undercut your own collector you know what i mean yeah yeah i um i don't ever like the prices for my paintings are just kind of always the, like they're always the same and for the most part they always sell through the same person so it's like really easy to to like keep it uh keep it just the same you know right uh like there's no it's not like it's going from different venue to different venue but um i like being able to have like different so I have like the paintings that I make, then I've got the sculptures that tend to be like a little bit cheaper. And then I, cause they're small sculptures. Right. And then, and then the big sculptures that are more expensive. <laughs> and then uh, the cups, which are a little bit cheaper. But the thing that I really want to figure out is how to cast a cup that I am really happy with. Cause there's like, I would just also like to have a lot of them around and to be able to like trade with friends or. Oh yeah. When I used to make a lot more, like when I was just, you know, in grad school or teaching and I had, I was just around wheels all the time and had time to do it. I would just always have cups around that I could, like if I was going to go see a friend, I would just leave him a cup. Yeah, um, right. That's so sweet. Yeah. And and then you can also sell stuff like, you know, if you had a cast cup, like maybe you price that at, at half of what your handmade cup is or a, you know two-thirds of what your handmade cup is like you'd have to you know you figure do that math for yourself depending on how much time's involved and how many you're going to make and how much you want to like um sort of devalue the casting versus the you know the fully hand handmade thing but um yeah because i think it'd be fun oftentimes like there will be sales that will pop up where i'm like this sounds fun but um i'm just not going to put one of my mugs in it because they it's not gonna sell because I sort of like found the price point where it's worth me making them because they're so slow and because I yeah. like I'll make like six and then all three I won't be happy with and then one I'll have realized I accidentally promised to a friend. So now all of a sudden I got two cups and those are the only two cups I made over the last six months. Yeah, you but your cups are like like mini sculptures in themselves, right? Some yeah, sometimes. But so I think the short answer is to maybe make things at like make different price points, make yeah. different price points. 
But I also, yeah, I think earlier on too, like you can, I think it is uh, early on, like it's a little easier to change prices and things like that, especially if you're doing it at like, like if you're going to be, you know, at a sale, like if your ceramics club does a sale, uh, like, you know, to, to set some prices and see how it goes. And, um, and then, you know, the next time, if you, if there's like another thing happening try it again, like, um, if it's not online too, it's a lot easier to kind of like shift prices around depending on how things are moving and stuff like that. And then, yeah, just try and find something that feels like, look at other people that like, I would always, um, you know, look at people that were like a year ahead of me in school and, and try and see what their prices were like, just to oh, see yeah. like, um, That's yeah. Cause you know, comparative shopping. Well, yeah. But also like, you know, in some ways, like they might have figured out that kind of sweet spot where things are actually going to move, but you're not going to be, you know, because if you're making handmade mugs and you're selling them for 20 bucks, like you're probably losing money, um, depending on what, <laughs> you know, if you're paying for materials and firing and time and space, like, um, so it, it, it's a fine balance for sure. Yeah. But yeah. And then Good like, luck. Oh yeah. Well, cause you can always, you can always increase prices too, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. That's the idea is like you start at like a base and then as you kind of grow as an artist and person, you get more and more expensive. So you're like, Oh, and then people will be like, I'm so happy. Like our, <laughs> our friend who's also a New York ceramicist, Jeff close. Uh, he bought one of my cups for, two bottles of Evan Williams green label. Whoa. So $40. Whoa. <laughs> the best deal I ever made. I want to get him that. <laughs> you probably found him on the street because that's what he's good at. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, Anya, thank we, you so much. Let us know what happens. Yeah, thanks for writing in. We, uh, we really appreciate it. We want to know. We want to know what you decided. Actually, I actually am really curious as to like your answer to this question. Um, okay, now we've got another one from um, Casey O'Boyle. Oh, cool! I love Casey O'Boyle's paintings. By the way, we've actually we've got a couple. She sent okay. a message to the Ceramics Podcast, and I was apparently really chatty at the time, so I sent her a couple long responses. Um, and this is one of the best questions I've ever heard. Raku kind of sucks. What is the hype? <laughs> um, <sighs> and I think just really quick to start off, Cami uh, and I will probably almost exclusively talk about like American Raku or Western Raku, which is the type of Raku that you like see, which is um, usually low fire, uh, you get it hot really fast in a kiln, and then you use these like big tongs to pull your piece out while it's at its peak temperature. And then you throw it in a bunch of like sawdust or hay or wet newspaper or leaves. Some, something that's gonna, or you throw some, uh, some horse hair on it. Um, something that's gonna reduce the piece as it cools. Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of, that's like what American Raku is. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I think Raku could be really cool, and 
the problem I think with Raku is people are so fascinated with the alchemy of the glazes, like the like rainbow lusters and the crackle that they actually lose sight of like the form and or the concept of the piece, right? So there's all these like dumb pieces that have these like beautiful glazes. Yeah. So that's the problem I think with Raku is that, you know, the, the form is really, really benign or mediocre. Whereas like, I think like if you could get that rainbow luster on, like on a beautiful form on something that's like a cool, that would be like amazing. You know, I wish I could remember the person's name, but there was some really nice luster stuff in the Fur Cup show at Onderdonk. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but huh. um, yeah, I think, I think Raku is a thing that uh, kind of gets like grouped up into like um, the hobbyist category too, yeah. which I, I think doesn't like, because it's sort of in the same way that like glass blowing is such like a big performance thing that like part of, you know, if you're doing a Raku workshop, part of it is kind of just like the showmanship of, That's or like, totally it. yeah. And so, and then I think it just kind of gets, people see it in that realm and then they, as they get more into ceramics, it, for whatever reason, they like move away from it. But it used to be like Wayne Higby, who was a really long time professor at Alfred University, made work using Raku for, decades um and made some like really incredible stuff with it um, okay well we'll have to look at that to confirm or to it's sweet like i'm gonna i'm surprised i didn't get more pushback from you but his his work is <laughs> i have to look i don't know what it looks like it's really I, crazy but yeah. it, you know i just you know when you say names like wayne higby you just um, hate alfred no, which is fair. No, which I don't care. Fair. When you say like Wayne Higby, um, uh, Peter Volkus. <laughs> I you just... say Peter Volkus. <laughs> Look at me. I would really, never. Just get really sleepy. Um, yeah. Okay. So back to the question. I'm going to probably cut that. But uh, so Wayne Higby, cool. go back into Wayne Higby. Okay. People can make really sweet work with it, but it, it just doesn't get used to its full potential. I think it's gonna have a big renaissance. Part of the problem that I see is so much of like the hip art world ceramics is happening in urban centers and Raku is something best done in the country because you're gonna smoke out your neighbors. Okay, yeah, uh, full disclosure, we can like reminisce about Raku because we actually haven't been able to, uh, we have we can't do it in New York City. So yeah. I kind of like like the act of Raku is the most the most important part of Raku. You know, for like the performance, like you're right, the performance of Raku is like the the excitement of it. But well, yeah. But it's, there's it's, some really cool fucking glazes that you could really Yeah. It's also I love the idea of ceramics being that fast. Like the firings take 45 minutes and and then your piece is out and you you know you can look at it and so you can be sitting there and it, actually you know what i like that part of it but i also i think that in some ways that is why 
that becomes part of the problem because people people show up to the Raku firing, they glaze one piece, they put it in the kiln, they pull it out, they like it or they don't like it, and all of a sudden they do more. And I think that people, you can spend some more time with it because they end up just brushing on their weird iridescent glaze all over everything because it worked once. Yeah. That's all they do. Also, and that's kind of, that goes along with like crystalline glazes too. Like, the when you're talking about like people that use crystalline glazes like they get the the pieces about the crystals that grow on the glaze it's you know so people you know the fascination with the glaze becomes about the glaze itself not about the actual piece that the glaze is on yeah the so, form is always the yeah, same it's like exactly. that wide with a little narrow neck. exactly so yeah. that's kind of how i feel about raku too it's like the, the form is always the same so wayne higby's raku work is crazy i don't know if that's look it up true. we'll look, look it up. up the old okay but the, jar, the jars are cool his bowls, though, are incredible. So in answer to your question, Casey, what we task you with is to make a badass piece, raku it, and then send us a picture. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll, we'll reconvene on this conversation. Okay. Um, ooh. This is, like a, this is like a statement. Okay. That's kind of a question. I guess it's a question too. Okay. Why are so many people who do ceramics like recovering painters? Like if I had a nickel for every time I heard a ceramicist say, I started out as a painter. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like this, um, since I know Kate, I know Casey's and she is a painter. So um, I think Gus is best prepared. I think Gus is best. Um, what's the word I want to use? I. Yeah, but Gus is the most painterly out of the two of us. So maybe you want to speak to this question. Okay. It's not cool to go from being a painter to being a ceramicist. It's cool to go from being a ceramicist to being a painter. <laughs> I actually don't know. That's what I'm trying to do, but slowly. Really slowly. Oh, uh, you just got an easel for your studio, which is like, what's happening? It's like it's cool. You're gonna have it's to really transition cool. to to cloth one day, but we'll get there, baby steps. It is actually crazy. I keep looking. I keep taking pictures of my pieces before and after they're fired, and they're almost always better before they're fired, which is um, crazy. Um, I feel like painters like clay because it's so the surface of the ceramic is so important that it's something that painters can get a grasp on. And it's like a gateway drug into being a sculptor, which painters, you know, there's like a great, the great divide between painters and sculptors. So I feel like if you kind of get into ceramics, it's just like dipping your toe in to sculpture, but while still keeping the integrity of being a painter. Yeah, I also think I mean, if ceramics, you want to say that that's, you know, if you have integrity uh, as a painter. I, I also think ceramics is just cool right now. You know, like when, when the light and space movement happened, there were probably, there, you know, I'm sure a ton of painters that started like casting shit in resin. Um, 
and like I think it's just it's just a cool thing. Uh, so there's a lot of people moving into it from different that maybe took drawing or painting in high school and then went into it in college because that was there and then slowly came around to ceramics when they saw the Tom Sachs tea bowls and the Matt Merkel Hess <laughs> torsos and buckets show and Satan ceramics. But she's right though, Gus. Like painters, it like there are a lot of painters that do ceramics. Yeah. Like as a as kind of like a phenomenon. You know, it is I bet it's like, it is a thing. Yeah, but I bet it's a recent thing. More than no, anything. it's not. It I has promise to you. be. No, nobody I promise you. Nobody did ceramics. Nobody did ceramics no, until. No, as because, yeah, nobody, it because was it me, wasn't cool. you, six other people. No, we I were promise We were all fighting you. over the same scut kiln. Before, even like years and years ago when I was in graduate school, the painters, like a painter would like come in and touch the clay and then realize that they could like manipulate the surface. In a, every in a painterly of, way. Every experience of mine, like until I got to New York with people outside of the ceramic studio was, and you've even talked about this, is you would tell people you did ceramics and they'd be like, oh, all right. And then move on to the next. Like yeah, but, there was yes. such a lack of interest in it. That's true. But there was always like a quiet, underhanded, a quiet, like under current of uh, descent the, of people that loved like loved ceramics but just couldn't talk about it of like fine artists that loved crafts but they just couldn't talk about it because it was so taboo because they're Me such them. assholes <laughs> oh, i would like you know you'd be like talking to some painter and they'd be like um, oh, well, yeah, I've always wanted to try it, you know, sometime. And then I think the new museum had a pa had a show back in 2005 of a woman who did paintings and ceramics. And to be clear, her ceramics were very, very, um, good. No, not good at all. <laughs> very, very mediocre, um, with a really amazing lack of craftsmanship however she she had a show at the new museum so you know it is what it is yeah hey, so, it is what it is so that uh so that question is awesome i don't know that we answered it yeah did we i don't know i don't know if we have an answer for you're it. so basically um in a someday very soon this is going to be called the painting and ceramics podcast because Gus, Gus is full on gonna be working okay. stretchy canvases. I, you know what I actually love doing is making stretchers and stretching canvas. I knew you like, were gonna say some shit like that, but that's, you get your, a good, whole, that's what your whole work. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the real problem was I, I, people told me that acrylic wasn't cool. So then I tried to learn how to use oil paints and I couldn't, figured out it kept ruining brushes. Um, so I, so I had my, my friend Ben when I was in grad school, like lent me all the stuff to do it. And then eventually I just, and then I, so then I bought a bunch of oil paints and things and then eventually I just gave it all away. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Like I just didn't, I don't know. I took one painting class, but I, I didn't understand it. Um, there's a podcast out right now called the great women's podcast or something like that. And Cecily Brown 
does a it does an episode and it's such a good interview that it's you guys should listen to it it's like it's excellent and she talks a little bit about oil paints i think versus acrylics yeah and like how she loves the oil okay yeah the other big thing was we yeah it's just hard like you get set you get locked into some like now i just i learned too much about ceramics and <laughs> okay let's outro um you guys thanks so much for your questions uh yeah, please write in if you have that was questions. really fun yeah and then also when you get the answers to your own questions can you let us know so we can correct so we can expand our views on your questions we want the answers to your questions as bad as you do <laughs> Wait, like if they work or if they understand or <laughs> yeah. if we even answered them? Yeah. Or okay. like you're like, we didn't do any of that. We I just priced my stuff and you guys didn't help at all. That one was quick though. Like she sent that message like Thursday. It's only Sunday. Okay. So you never it was know. A quick turnaround. Yeah, that's we'll is considering... release this podcast in a month or two and then <laughs> Oh. Um, okay, right in. Thanks so much. Um See yeah, follow us on Instagram time. and uh, yeah, review us, us on also, your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, great. Review our personalities. No, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, unless it's like, Cammie's amazing, but the, the, I don't know his name, the one she's with, sitting with, the other host, I can't not even remember. Sitting. We're not even <laughs> sitting together. Oh, right. <laughs> Mediocre on a good day inconsistently valuable inconsistently effective right that was my review i mean that's always the review i just like it's such a charming anyway bye everybody goodbye dude this soup is fucking crazy candy it's like, it's not even soup. It's just like, because I put more sausage in it than I was supposed to and a little bit more potato. And so it's just like potato sausage with nice. like some shit around it. Oh my God. <laughs>